that he could feed into the system things that were rare and displayed his power, we saw miracles. But every time a miracle happens in the scripture, it's not just happening so that we can view it, but that so we can learn from it, so that we can take this occurrence and see how it matters to our lives as we seek by the Lord's power to glorify Jesus. So today, I would like to examine the miracle of the burning bush, how God chose powerfully to speak to Moses, and how I believe by documenting this in his scripture, he seeks to speak to us today as well. Now, our focus will be on Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, all the way to chapter 4, verse 20. But we're going to be looking at some highlights of the scripture. I encourage you to, to read the entirety of this because it is powerful what God wanted to achieve and how it is echoed in the ministry of Jesus Christ. But to start today, we will look at Exodus 3, verse 1 through 11. Would you follow along with me? Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, documented this account in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Let's pray as we go to the Holy Scriptures this morning. Father God, we do thank you for this opportunity to examine how you moved in history. That you and your divine providence have left us this historical account of of your interaction with Moses. And in it we see your heart that when you see the oppression that can manifest in this fallen world, we see that you are the Lord that seeks to intervene, to break the chains, 
that can overtake our lives to give us freedom to walk with you. I pray we see how your heart for the people of Israel is the same as your heart for the people of this world today and how you invite us to be a part of this rescue mission, to destroy the bondage of this world and to usher in the freedom that is only found in Jesus Christ. Show us why you left us this account and how we can live it out today. That we may glorify your name. For you, the creator of the cosmos, you alone who can work miracles. Lord, it is in your name that we pray and we seek your face this day. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I think very early on in this account, we see an application an application of how we are to live our lives because of this, and it is this. This first application we see, when God speaks, pay attention with fear and awe. Look with me again in verse 6. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. In the culture of church life in America today, the Lord is thought of in many ways. He is our best friend. He is the focus of a catchy bumper sticker, a fish symbol on the back of a car. He's our buddy and so on. And I'm not critiquing those views necessarily. In that, yes, Jesus is our friend. The Bible says that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother And he radically loves us. And he is our high priest. And he does stoop down to our level to be incarnate, to dwell among us, to show us that he is not far from us, but he is near. I do not think those views of God are incorrect if, if we balance them with verses like this. Proverbs 9.10 says this. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I think we see many things about Moses in the book of Exodus. Moses, as the author of this book, is admittedly flawed. Like us, he is flawed in so many ways. But I think it is not from a posture of ignorance, but actually from a posture of wisdom that we see in verse 6 that he hid his face and he was afraid to look at God. God loves Moses. He wants good for Moses. He cares for Moses. Here Moses is standing in fear of this one who loves him. So is this improper? Is this response out of place? Not at all. God is the creator of the universe, awesome in power, the judge of sin. He is infinitely powerful, all-wise, and we should stand in awe of him. There is a healthy fear that we experience if we know God rightly. And the interesting thing is that does not negate that he is the first person we turn to. That he is the one we know loves us, for he has demonstrated that in Jesus. 
that he is a friend that sticks closer to the brother. The Bible never separates these things. They are intertwined. The Lord is our friend. The Lord loves us. God is our heavenly Father who gave us his only Son, but he is awesome in power, and he we should stand in front of in awe as well. These things coexist for the Christian. I think this concept in in how we are to view God is displayed in other areas of life, too, in leadership. For instance, I, I would be devastated if I felt like my kids feared me because they thought that I didn't love them. I would be devastated. I want to over-communicate to my children. I, I love you, and, and I'm here for you, and I'd do anything for you. I want you to know that I love you. But that doesn't mean that I don't want them also to have a healthy respect for their parents. And sometimes you can see this in the most unlikely of ways. I remember when my daughter Abby was two years old, and for some reason she developed the habit of doing pretty much anything with her food at dinner time except eat it. And one time we gave her a bowl of food, and we were sitting there, and she was sitting across the table from me, and I saw her smiling, and she lifted up the bowl and turned the whole bowl over on the table. And she was laughing, and she was smiling, and then her eyes caught mine. And she continued to smile, but she turned the bowl over, and smiling, looking at me, started putting all the food back in. You see, she realized, "Uh uh-oh, Dad saw me do that. She knew that I loved her, but she also knew that I would correct her. You see, there is a healthy relationship when you view the authority figures in your life as actually having authority over you. I think the same is true of God. Does he love us? Absolutely. Astonishingly. God loves you more than you can fathom. Sometimes we may feel distant from that. We may, like Adam and Eve, want to flee from God. But always, consistently, without fail, God is fighting for your good, and he loves you above your comprehension. But that does not mean that we lose the awe that we should have for him as the ultimate authority figure in all of our lives, our creator, our designer, our maker. You see, just because we acknowledge the love of God never should mean that we have forfeited a healthy fear of the Lord in our lives. If we believe God's word, we will always possess a healthy fear of God, especially when he speaks. God communicated with Moses. Moses feared the Lord. And the question is for the church in America today, do we fear God? Does the church in America truly fear the Lord? When God speaks, do we pay attention with a healthy respect and awe? God designed his church, like the New Testament churches that we read about, to gather to hear him speak on Sundays, to to hear him as, as, as we each Sunday remember that this is the resurrection day, that this is the day that Jesus defeated death. And through this service, we come here because we believe ultimately that God will speak to us through his word. The same God that spoke through the burning bush promises us that he will speak to us through his inspired word. 
Not, not through me or some other flawed person, but when we turn to his scriptures, that is where God speaks. When our culture and some churches distort God's word and we start to call things that are evil good, when you can look at our culture and see that a defining attribute of the, of the culture in America and, and tragically sometimes the church in America is strife and hostility, a lack of love of anyone who doesn't fit your perfect subgroup, an echo chamber where the main people in your life you want to invest in are only those that will affirm your opinions and celebrate your choices. When such division is a defining trait of our society and sin is lifted up and sin is exalted, and, and we see that as trivial, when God says it is wicked, do we fear the Lord? Or, if we were honest, do we fear the opinions of the world? Is that where our fear truly lies? A world that has so often now threatened ostracization and cancelization for any critique toward their desires and their ambitions. Do we fear the world or do we fear God? Do we want to be accepted by the world and society or do we want to rest knowing that in Christ we are accepted by God? When our Bibles lay in our homes untouched for weeks, and months, do we really fear the Lord who wants to speak to us through it? Despite the truth, once again, that the same God who speaks through the burning bush has told you, I'll meet with you. I'll give you time. I'll give you attention. Just open my word. When we neglect to come and meet with our God, do we truly fear him? Do we stand in awe and respect toward him? Or do we see him as something that will fit in our busy schedule? Maybe. Do we really pay attention with fear and awe? Or is God boring, trivial, insignificant to the distractions that Satan would rather us focus our attention on? You know what would be strange? Wouldn't it be strange if we opened this account and we read Moses was walking in the wilderness and there was this bush and it was on fire and not consumed. And Moses said, I, I got to check this out. And, and he walked up and, and the bush was not consumed. And he heard the Lord speak, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses said, oh, it's just God. I'm bored. I'm going to leave. Wouldn't that be bizarre? Wouldn't that be strange if his approach and attitude wasn't one of fear and awe? But too often in America, when God has promised, I'll communicate with you, I'll be there for you, go invest in Christian fellowship. I will be there in a special way in my spirit. Open up my word and you will hear from me. Too often do we stand in awe or are we just bored and do not care? But this God who made us, who loves us, who wants to communicate with us, so often do we just neglect it. When God speaks, do we stand in fear and awe? 
Do we stand in gratitude? Are we so thankful that the God of the universe loves us so much that he came to us in Christ and he beckons us into a relationship today? Does that cultivate within us fear and love and awe and appreciation so that we want to run at every chance we have to pour our lives into knowing this God? If we do, then I think we also need to make this application this morning as well, and it is this. The next application of our text, abandon any excuse that could stop you from following God. Moses had to get there in his heart, and I believe we do as well. Look with me again in verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. Let's look again at what happened between Moses and God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. You know what's strangely comforting about the Bible? The people of God, who are so demonstrably loved by the Lord, are flawed. And in a peculiar way, that is good news to me this morning. Because I know I am a flawed, flawed person. And if, if when we turn to the scriptures, if, if the only people that we saw that God used were the people who were perfect, the people who always got it right, the people who never made mistakes, that would be discouraging for me because I am the farthest thing from that. I'm flawed. I mess up. And so when I see a God in the scriptures who uses flawed, messed up people, that's an encouragement to me. And I think God here takes imperfect people like Moses to show he can love imperfect people like Moses and he can love imperfect people like me. Friends, this application is for us. Oftentimes when God wants us to love others, do you ever find yourself giving excuses for why you can't? I want you to pour yourself into this fellowship. Well, here's an excuse. I want you to witness to that friend. Well, well here's an excuse. If you ever find yourself giving excuses, trivial excuses to God, you weren't the first one to do that. You weren't the first one to wrestle with trivial excuses. What do we see in verse 11 once again? Look with me. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? It seems so humble. Oh God, who am I to do this? This, this? You can't have me in mind for this. And his excuses just keep coming out. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. In Exodus 4, verse 1, what does Moses say? Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. There's another excuse. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. 
In Exodus 4, verse 10, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. There's another excuse. Look with me in verse 13, Exodus 4, verse 13. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Excuse after excuse after excuse of why he should not have to fulfill this task that God has ordained for him to fulfill. What is on God's heart? Why does God want to use Moses in this way? Look with me in Exodus 3-7 again. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God is passionate about the salvation of his people. They are in bondage and he wants them freed. They are in slavery and he wants them saved to liberate them. And the awesome news is that Moses is invited to play a magnificent role in what God is doing to rescue Israel. And so he's pumped and he says, wow, God has appeared to me through this burning bush. Let's do it. I believe in you and your power. Let's go. That's what Moses does, right? No. Despite the awesome power of the burning bush, despite this magnificent display of the Lord's power, we see that while God's priority is his people, Moses' priority is Moses. Now I want to stress something. Moses loved God. In fact, I believe Moses is with the Lord today, so let's say it in the present tense. Moses loves God more than Aaron Sams loves God. And I want to stress that. Let's not forget that Moses wrote this book. So what I think Moses is doing here is he is forfeiting his reputation, and he's, he's explaining this account exactly as it occurred. He wants to show people, I made a mistake here so that we don't have to repeat the mistake of excuses. So I think Moses is being vulnerable here and saying, when God appeared to me, my priority was, I don't want to do this. I want to protect myself. And God's priority was the salvation of his people. God's priority is the rescue mission because he loves his people and Moses is afraid and he has an unhealthy fear of people. While Moses did fear the Lord, he also feared people. And he has to abandon that fear of people. What did it say in verse 1? Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Moses fears that if he goes out to proclaim God's word, people will not listen to him. So God wants to save his people. And Moses fears the rejection of those people more than he cares about the salvation of those people. Why did God appear to Moses? Several things. God wants to be glorified through Moses' life. 
God loves Moses. And third, God wants to use Moses for the salvation of his people. And there are many other reasons why God moves in this way, but it always includes those three. He wants to be glorified. He wants to show his love. He wants to display his salvations. And what's interesting is God wants to use you in the same way he used Moses. Those same motivations, his glory, his love for you, his desire to see people rescued, those are the same motivations for which God wants to use you this morning. The Bible said it like this in John 8. In John 8, 31, Jesus in his ministry, I think, was showing these priorities of God for his glory, to show his love, to show his salvation, are present in his ministry too. And in John 8, verse 31, it says this. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Apart from Jesus, we are all in bondage. And the one who imprisoned us is Satan. But it wasn't like we were dragged. We willingly followed the prince and power of the air. And so we face this bondage towards sin, stopping us from being what God wants us to be. And God has appeared to us through his word. And he says, I want you to go into the world and I want you to tell people there is a liberator, there is a savior, and it is Christ And we can give excuses. God will never listen to me. God, if if, if I tell people to believe in Jesus, that means maybe we're we're just going to be honest. That means I have to pour a significant portion of my life into your work, and I'd rather just live for myself. Maybe we wouldn't articulate it, but maybe that is the proclamation of our heart. God calls us to pour our lives into telling others of the liberator of sin, of Jesus Christ. Will we offer excuses or will we be faithful and obedient? I think that in part is connected to will we stand in awe of God or not? You see, it's interesting. Every time, every time Moses offers an excuse, you know what God doesn't do? Moses offers these excuses. They're not going to listen to me. I can't really speak very well, excuse after excuse after excuse. You know what God doesn't say to Moses? God never says, oh, Moses, you're being too hard on yourself. You're a really good speaker, Moses. You just need to discover the champion in you, Moses. That's not what God says. God doesn't downplay the flaws that Moses mentions. Look with me in verse 10. In verse 10 of Exodus 4, Exodus 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. God doesn't say, Moses, don't downplay your flaws. That's not what he says. God says, What are you talking about? I made everyone. 
I am God, and Moses, you are flawed. But you're not going in your power, Moses. You're going in the power of the Lord. And we can say, God, I'm such a terrible speaker. I just don't have the courage. I just always end up neglecting this priority. God, I can't do what you've called me to do to proclaim Jesus to this world. And God doesn't say, discover the champion in you. God says, quit thinking about your flaws and think about the power of Jesus Christ that you go with. You are flawed. You don't have the strength of what it takes to fulfill everything that God has called you to do. And here's the beauty of it. You get a strength outside of yourself. You get a power that doesn't belong to you. You get to go in the power of Jesus Christ. So your flaws are irrelevant because the power that is given to you is that of the Son of God. Let go of your excuses and trust in the power of Jesus. Moses was called to let go of his excuses and trust in the power of the Lord. And if we believe that that is the gift that is offered to us, then there is one last application from this text today, and it is this. The application is we must pursue God's call to tell others about the one who can free them, Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse 18 of chapter 4. In Exodus 4, verse 18, it says this. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. You see, so often in life, we, we can mess up. And, and that can just leave us frozen with an action. But the message of Moses is, it's, it's not about how you start. It is about how you finish. Moses began giving excuses. But finally, abandoned them all, and was faithful. Do you see areas in your life this morning where you know you've given God excuses? Have you not valued reading the Word and, and meeting with your Lord and getting to know Him more? Are you ready to start meeting with God consistently in the Bible? Is there a person you know that's been on your heart that you're supposed to witness to and you've been putting it off are you finally ready to share Jesus with them? Is there a sin that you keep going back to over and over again? Are you ready to let Jesus set you free from it? When you look at your life, do you see that something's missing? Meaningful, sacrificial ministry and impacting others is missing in your life where it's messy and and you pour yourself into a church fellowship. And, and sometimes things are tense. But you know God has called you to this family. And so you need that meaningful, sacrificial aspect of your life to be serving God like you should. Are you ready to start loving others above yourself? Are you ready to sacrifice your time to feed the hungry? Proclaim to the lost. And minister to a world that God radically loves. 
Are you sick of the excuses you give that stop you from following God in these ways? Well, Moses knows what that is like. Because listen, if we have excuses like Moses, the beautiful thing of the power of the Lord is, not, not in our strength but in his, we can lay them down before him. And when God says obey by the power of Jesus, we can say yes. Do you know what would be easy? It would be easy to hear a sermon like this and think, the word is correct. I, I need to tell others about the liberator of Christ. I need to be more faithful to my local church. I need to abandon my excuses. And I need to witness to that family member or that coworker or that friend. I need to follow Jesus. It would be easy to realize all that in our brains and just do nothing. What if that is what happened in this text? What if we read of this astonishing account, this miraculous burning bush of God speaking to Moses, and then the text said, but Moses went away and forgot everything he had seen and never went to Egypt. How tragic would that be? But praise God, that is not what we see. We see that Moses chose to taste the joy of obedience. Of abandoning excuses and following God in obedience and in action. Like Moses, I think to get there, we have to admit we're flawed. Moses just admitted, I'm not a good speaker, God. I don't know why you've chosen me. It's okay to admit your flaws because in our weakness, Jesus is proven strong because then we can trust outside of ourselves and trust in the Lord. Moses was going to have to pour his time and energy and effort into doing what God called him to do. And friends, that's the same path we've all been called on. God wants every aspect of your life. And he wants you to pour your life into everything he's doing in Jesus Christ. And to experience something that comes with that. That when you give up the things of this world and live for the Son of God, there is a joy in that obedience. Because in the end, what was true of Israel and is true of us is this. We're all in bondage. We are all been taken captive by the enemy of this world. And the tragedy is we willingly did that. The Bible says we follow the prince and power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But what it also says is Jesus has come to set us free. To be free to everything that God wanted us to be where our lives are no longer defined by rebellion, but by reconciliation, where our lives are no longer defined by strife and hostility, but love for one another, where our lives are chiefly defined by this, that though we deserve to die and be separated from God, one has died in our place, and he has risen again as our substitute, and that is Jesus Christ. And if you will admit your sins and believe in him, he will set you free. Free to live a life where you glorify him and get wrapped up in the joy of everything God is doing to exalt Jesus. And may we be found faithful to that task. No excuses, but leaning in a power that is not our own, but it is that of the Messiah, of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God, of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you because no matter what excuse we could give for why we shouldn't serve you, the answer is, but we get to go in your power, but we get to have your strength. God, we thank you that you use flawed people like us to advance this good news, to proclaim this gospel. And God, I pray that if there's anyone hearing my voice right now in this room or online, and, and they know they've never put their faith in the only true liberator, the ultimate one who can set us free in Jesus, I pray today would be the day of salvation. But I pray if they come to know this Christ and his freedom, that they can't but help to proclaim his good news to the lost of this world. That as Moses was sent to free Israel from bondage, your church is here to proclaim the freedom that is found only in Jesus. And it's in his name that we lift up this prayer. And it's his good news and his kingdom that we seek to commit ourselves to. And Jesus, it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Let us stand. We will sing the praises of Christ. And if you need to come today, you come as we sing.